Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. Welcome. Uh, it's great to be in the house of the Lord and to worship with one another and to uh, fellowship with one another and to uh, raise up the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and to bring glory to him. We welcome you here today. We welcome our guests especially and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family together. And uh, we'd like to remind you of a few things. First of all, let me remind you of our attendance pads, our attendance sheets on the clipboard there. I'd like to ask, if you would, to take that and to fill it out as, as completely as you can. Pass it down the aisle. And then, if you would, pass it down again the other way so that uh, people can see who's sitting on the pew next to you. And, and also uh, so that uh, people that are coming in in a few minutes will have an opportunity to sign, it up, as, sign up as well. Uh, a few announcements, some activities we have coming up during this next week. First of all, tomorrow night, our, uh, the, our women's group, our women's mission group, will be having an outing. They're going to be uh, going out to dinner tomorrow night. And um, uh, some pie place that boasts that they have over 50 different types of pies in Evansville. So I'm sure, I'm sure that's, uh, that's very tempting for everyone. Uh, but if you'd like to go there, please meet here at 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. And, um, and no, Mark, I'm sorry, it's, you, you can't go. <laughs> A few other things. On Saturday, uh, that, is, that is our day to uh, feed lunch at the Salvation Army. And so we encourage you to be a part of that as well. If you'd like to volunteer to help with that, uh, we would encourage you to do that. And one other thing I'd like to uh, bring to your attention and that is that next Sunday we will be starting a new series, a new sermon series. Um, it's called God in the Workplace. And we will be talking about uh, honoring God in our lives and in our, in our work and our career. We'll be talking about dealing with difficult people. We'll be talking about uh, the money that we make uh, in our workplace. But we'll be starting that out next week, which I think is appropriate because that's Labor Day weekend and we're talking about labor and we'll be continuing that through the month of September. Now, there are a few things we would like to invite you to do uh, to be a part of this God in the Workplace service or series. First of all, we want to encourage you to invite somebody from your workplace to come to Community Baptist Church. You may have been thinking about this for a long time. You may have been thinking about, you know, I think so-and-so that I work with would be interested in, in our church, but you've just never gotten around to inviting them to Community Baptist Church. Well, this is a good opportunity. Uh, since we're having this series on God in the workplace, it's a good opportunity for you to go up to someone and say, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about how God is in the workplace, and I thought you might be interested in this series. So how about coming to church with me on Sunday? And that'll be a good opportunity for you, you to do that. Also, uh, we want, you know, it, it's come to our attention that sometimes we don't even know what each other does in the workplace. And so next Sunday, we want to invite everybody to come to church dressed in the attire that you normally use, you normally wear at work. And so you may have a uniform, you may have scrubs, you may have a coat and tie, you may have whatever. And uh, so we just invite you to come dressed however you go to work. You may want to put your, your, your name tag on and uh, maybe a stethoscope around your neck or whatever. But just come as you, are, as you normally dress to go to work. Uh, one more thing, um, we're going to use this as a time to pray for each other. So what we would also like for you to do is if you have a business card, we want you to bring your business card. And we're going to have a fishbowl here, and we want you to just drop your business card in the fishbowl. And if you don't have a business card that goes along with your work, we'll have some cards here that you can fill out and just put your name and and, and where you work. And if you're retired, you need to put that you're retired as well and where you used to work. If you're unemployed, we especially need that because we're going to be drawing names out of this fishbowl and praying for each other throughout this series. So bring your 
bring your business card, or if you don't have one, then we'll have some cards here available for you to, to make up your own business card and drop it in the fishbowl. Uh, and if you'll do that starting next week, we would certainly appreciate it. We're excited about this, um, this series that is, that's coming up. But we're here today to worship the Lord, aren't we? We're here today to worship the Lord, and we're excited about that as well. And we're excited that we are here with one another. We are community Baptist Church, and community means means a lot to us. So let me invite you to stand up and turn around and share community with one another as we greet each other in the name of the Lord. Shout to the 
Boys and girls, if you will join me up here for the children's moment. I have stuff. There they come. The magic words. I have stuff. All right. You know, at the, usually at the end of the time, I tell you all I'm handing out candy. I'm not going to wait till the end of the time. I'm just going to hand it out now. You guys want some candy? Okay. Well, Kirk. Well, come on. Come on. Get you some candy. There you go. There you go. I hope I have enough. All right. Now, wait a minute. I'm not done. Come back up here. There you go. Mr. Mark gets some, too. Now, you guys need to come, come back around here. You just got a Twizzler and a Joy Rancher? Well, what did she get? Mr. Mark got yours, Nathan. Nathaniel, there. Well, Mercedes and Lexus, what did you guys get? You didn't get a Kit Kat? Every, did it, did every, oh, she only, she only got two things. And you only got two things? So some of you got more than others? Oh, man. Now, that doesn't seem fair, does it? Some of you get lots of candy and some of you only get two. Where is this going? You know, if you listen really close to today's Bible passage, this is what we're talking about. Sometimes it just seems that things are just not fair. Some people get more than other people. Some people don't get, get as much as other people. Sometimes it seems like life just isn't fair. And sometimes we look up and we say, God, that's just not fair. You're just not being fair. Now, aren't you guys happy? that, that um, these Mercedes and Lexus got gobs of candy? You're not, you're not happy they got gobs of candy? You're not happy for them? Oh, well, I see I am. I think that's cool that they got lots of candy, and I'm happy for them. Even when it seems like life is not fair and you didn't get as much as you had hoped or had wanted, you know what? God still takes care of us. God still gives us what we need. God still gives us what God promised to give us, which is what we need. Sometimes we get what we want. Sometimes we want more candy, but we really need just two. But God will always, always, always take care of us because that's how much God loves us. Okay? Let's pray together. God, thank you for taking care of us. And for taking care of what we need, even when we think we want more. Thank you for loving us. We know that you love us a bunch. And God, just so that you'll know, we love you too. Amen.
Pray with me. We come today with hearts of thanksgiving, thanking you for all our family's love, and most especially your love. Bless these tithes and offerings. In your name I pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, beginning with verse 1 and reading through the first part of verse 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, He sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, They thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. 
I am not, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of God for you and for me. Beloved preacher and teacher Fred Craddock tells a story about being on a flight back when they still had smoking sections on airplanes. And Craddock was seated in the no smoking section. He was seated on the aisle, but directly across from him sat a man who pulled out a long black cigar out of his pocket and lit it. Soon the whole area was filled with foul-smelling smoke, and so Craddock stopped the flight attendant, who was a very attractive young woman, and said, I'm sorry, but am I in the wrong section? I asked for no smoking. Then, realizing what he was saying, she said to the man with the big cigar, "Um, Sir, this is the no-smoking section. However, the man simply ignored the flight attendant and kept right on puffing away on his cigar. So Craddock complained again, and again she reminded the man that he was in the no-smoking section of the airplane, but it did no good at all, and Craddock was infuriated. Well, later on, during the flight, the flight attendant was coming down the aisle with a tray full of drinks, and she was standing right between Craddock and the man with the cigar when they hit an air pocket. The sudden turbulence caused the flight attendant to dump the whole tray of drinks right into the lap of the man with his cigar. But that's not all. Seeking to correct her balance, this very attractive young flight attendant fell backwards right into Fred Craddock's lap. Then Craddock says with a sly grin on his face, Now tell me there's not a God. (laughs) You know, I wish life always turned out that way, don't you? So that the wrongdoers get what's coming to him while the guys in the white hats always come out on top. I read about some burglars in Essex, England, who broke into the home of a woman named Dee Blythe. And after stealing everything of value from her living room, the burglars discovered a plastic bag filled with powder marked Charlie. Well, Charlie is a street name for cocaine, but it is also the name of Dee's dead dog. So in a news report, Mrs. Blythe is quoted as saying, it was horrible knowing that they were in my house, but the idea of them trying to get high on a dead dog's ashes certainly make me, makes me feel a bit better. Sometimes things do sort of even out a bit. But the fact is that often life is not so dependable. Often... Life is not fair. Former Chrysler Corporation Chairman Lee Iacocca tells about an incident that occurred when he was in the sixth grade. The incident involved the election of the captain of the school patrol, a job that he really wanted. He lost by two votes. Well, the next day, one of his classmates pointed out the fact that the total number of votes cast was greater than the number of students in the class. But when Iacocca told his teacher this, she simply advised him to let the matter rest. And it was, he recalls, his first lesson in the fact that life would not always be fair. How many times have you and I looked at life and complained that it's just not fair? And you know... As we look at this parable of Jesus, it appears that even God doesn't always play fair. Jesus told a parable about a landowner who went into the marketplace early in the morning to, to hire workers, which, was, which is a common practice even today in many places. They're called catch-out corners 
where people will stand until someone drives up in a pickup truck and hire one or two or three or four people to do a job that usually lasts only a day. Well, in Jesus' parable, the workers that the landowner hired agreed to be paid the standard wage for a full day's work, which was one denarius. One denarius was considered to be the amount that a person needed to provide the basic necessities of life for one day. One day's necessities, one day work. And if that person did not get paid that one denarius, his necessities would not be met. So the landowner took the first crew to work at his farm, at his vineyard, and but three hours later, he saw that there was they were going to need some more workers if they were going to get the job done. So he went back to the marketplace and hired some more. And then about noon, he hired yet more workers. And again, at three o'clock and again, even at five o'clock that afternoon, he hired more workers. Well, quitting time was at six o'clock. So at six, at six o'clock, he had his former line up all the workers to be paid, and he began with those who had worked for only one hour. And what did he do? He paid them a full day's wage. Well, looking on were these others who had worked since 6 o'clock that morning, and so they were thinking, man, wow, if he pays them a full day's wage for just one hour of work, then think of how much... He will certainly pay us. But when their time came, they also received the standard wage for one day's work. And they were mad. They had worked all day long and they were receiving the same amount of pay as those who had worked for only an hour. It wasn't fair. But the landowner said to them, Didn't I pay you what we had agreed on? If I want to be more generous with these others, is it not my right? Is it not my money to do with as I please? Now that's a hard teaching for us to hear, isn't it? Particularly when it is applied to the subject of salvation, which it often is. Since most of us in the church feel like we are those that have labored since six o'clock this morning. This may be one of Jesus' most difficult teachings to accept. Is it true? Can a person be an absolute scoundrel right up until the moment of his or her death and then repent and confess Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life just as, as if he or she had been a saint all along? Well, that's the way this text is most often interpreted. Ty Cobb is generally regarded as one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived. When he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1936, he received the most votes of any player on the ballot. Cobb is widely credited with setting 90 major league baseball records, 90, during his career. He still holds several records, even after all these years, including the highest career batting average, which is 366, and the most career batting titles. He retained many other records for almost 50 years, and some of them beyond 50 years, including most career hits, most career runs, most career games played, most most career at-bats, and the modern record for the most stolen bases. However, as most baseball fans know, Ty Cobb was not a very nice man. He was an overt racist. He was mean. He was grouchy on the baseball field. He would not be anyone's on anyone's list for preferred role models. But in 1961, Ty Cobb lay dying. And reportedly, a pastor came to Ty Cobb's bedside during this difficult time and urged him to repent of his sins and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And Cobb looked up from his deathbed and said, You're not telling me that a whole life of sin can be done away with by a deathbed repentance, are you? And the pastor assured Cobb that it could. And Ty Cobb invited Jesus into his life. 
shortly thereafter he died. And we can only assume that he passed comfortably through those pearly gates as if he had been a Sunday school teacher all of his life. And all I can say to that is that's wonderful. But it's not fair. (laughs) Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. If that's the way things are, then why not just go ahead and live a life of sin and wait until the very last moment to repent? I mean, if you're going to get the same reward anyway, why not just party hardy right up until the last moment? And by the way, that's not an exclusively uh, a Christian teaching. Our Jewish friends wrestled with this conundrum as well. Herman Wook, in his book titled, This is My God, The Jewish Way of Life, tells a story about his grandfather, who was a learned and pious Jew. His grandfather had a tenant living with him in his apartment, who was less learned, but just as pious and more fierce in his piety. And one day when they were studying the laws of repentance together, the tenant burst from his room and he said, What? The atheist guzzles whiskey and eats pork and wallows with his women all his life long and then repents the day before he dies and stands guiltless before God while I spend my whole lifetime trying to please God. The grandfather pointed to the book and said, So it is written. Written, the tenant roared. There are books and there are books. And then he slammed the door as he strode angrily from uh, from the room. The tenant's outrage seemed highly logical, says Wook. And then his grandfather pointed out that canceling the past does not turn it into a record of achievement. It simply leaves it blank. A waste of spilled years. A man had better return, he said, while time remains to to write a life worth living. And since no one knows the day of his death, the time to get a grip on life is the first hour when the impulse strikes. It's a fascinating question. And on the surface, it can be somewhat troubling. Why turn to God now? Why not wait? Rabbi Eliezer said, turn to God one day before your death. And his disciples said, how can a person know the day of of death? And he answered them, then you should turn to God today, for perhaps you may die tomorrow. Thus, every day will be employed in returning to God. How would you answer a question like that? Why not go ahead and live a life of sin and wait until the very last moment to repent? Well, actually, this this question is not as as difficult to answer as it may may seem, not to people who have walked with Christ for, for any time at all. For you see, the question assumes that a life of sin is more desirable than a life of faith. I mean, why else would we be so concerned about waiting until the last moment? Let me ask you a serious question. What would you change about your life if you knew that there was no heaven or hell? Would you be less loving to your family? Would you cheat on your spouse? Would you be dishonest in your business? I don't think so. Probably not. Folks, that that old adage that virtue is its own reward is true. There are other reasons that we keep our wedding vows and run our businesses in an ethical manner and love our families besides the fear of hell. We seek to live a virtuous life not out of fear, but because we have looked around and seen that the moral way of life is truly the best way of life. We cannot imagine a world without moral values and, and family ties. I know we we joke about the attractiveness of a sinful life and 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 sometimes it can be rather fun I suppose for a while anyway but deep down in our hearts we know that a life of continuous sin leads only to destruction of everything that is good and lasting and ultimately satisfying in this world God is not our enemy 
And deep down in our hearts, we know that evil is our enemy. That which tempts us to be less than the beautiful, whole, healthy, loving children of God that God created us to be. So what would you honestly change about your life if you knew there, were no, there was no heaven or hell? I suspect very little. Now, some of you may be thinking that I wouldn't sit through any more boring sermons if I knew that. thought I might get an amen from that one. But you know something? If it is the fear of judgment that brings you to church, you probably don't get much out of church anyway. And when we come to the mature realization that that we seek to do right, not to please an angry God, but because it is ultimately in our best interest to do so, then we no longer envy that scoundrel who makes the deathbed confession. As a matter of fact, we pity that person for taking so long to see what we've known all along. No one ever repented on his deathbed of being a Christian, writes Hannah Moore. And that's true. And we're not perfect, but we're wise enough to see that there are certain laws, moral laws, spiritual laws, if you will, that govern this universe just as surely as does the law of gravity. And by the grace of God, we do what is right, not because we're afraid of going to hell, but because in the long run, it's in our best interest to do so in the interest of those that we love. But here's the second question that arises out of this parable. And that is that if God wants to be generous with others, then shouldn't we just rejoice with them? Those who had worked in the vineyard would would not have been at all dissatisfied with what they had. If they had not compared their wages with what others received. And there's something very human about that, isn't there? What is there within us that judges our lives not on the basis of what we have, but on the basis of what we have in relation to others, to what others have? The fact is that Jesus knew that these workers had a need. It took a full denarius to meet their basic requirements of life. And if they didn't get it, they would have to go without. And so Jesus had the landowner in his story To give these workers more than they deserved so that their needs would be fully met. And that, my friends, is the definition of grace. And of course, when that gift happens to be the gift of salvation, the principle becomes even more critical. Shall we who have been saved by grace not rejoice whenever any other person receives that grace as well, whether they receive it as a child or as a teenager or at the age of 98 after living a life of total degradation? No, we rejoice. Here's the truth that all mature Christians understand. None of us deserves the gift of salvation. Whatever reward we may receive, you can be assured that we didn't earn it. And that's why we sing with so much joy, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And folks, it is amazing. I mean, think about it. A righteous God accepts you and me just as we are and as if we had never done anything wrong in our whole lives. And then God cleans us up and makes us into a a new creation. And so the real question is, why would anybody want to wait to experience the joy of salvation? William James is usually thought of as the father of American psychology. And in his book written in 1902, titled Varieties of Religious Experience, he defines conversion as this. The process, gradual or sudden, whereby a person who is previously unhappy, inferior, or wrong becomes consciously happy, superior, and right. Well, who wouldn't want that? Superior, happy, and right. 
We probably wouldn't use that same language today exactly, but, but here is the powerful little secret that the world simply can't quite get. Here it is, folks. Living for Jesus is the best way in the world to live. There it is, pure and simple. So it's not a question. The question is not, why not wait until the, the end to enjoy and enjoy your life of sin here on earth? The question is, wouldn't it be stupid to live your life in emptiness and in despair when Christ can come into your life now and give your life meaning and purpose? Sure. Because the life of Christ is such a wonderful life that we live. Not only in the sweet by and by, but also right here and right now. Dr. Tom Long tells about a young boy who years ago was a great fan of Captain Kangaroo, both Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Rogers. Some of you I see are equally as enamored with these two wonderful men, Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Rogers. Well, this boy faithfully watched both of their television programs every single day. And then one day it was announced Wonder of wonders, Mr. Rogers would be paying a visit to the Captain Kangaroo show. And as you can imagine, this boy was ecstatic about that. Both of his heroes together on the same show. And every morning the boy would ask, is it today? Is today the day that Mr. Rogers will be on Captain Kangaroo well, finally, the great day arrived and the whole family gathered around the television set. And there they were, Mr. Rogers and Captain Kangaroo together at last. And the boy watched for a little while and, and then he stood up and he got up and, and he walked out of the room. Well, this puzzled his father a little bit who followed him and said, what is it, son? What, what's wrong? Is anything wrong? And the boy looked at him and said, it's too good. It's just too good. Well, folks, that's how we ought to feel about the message of God's grace. Not that it's unfair, but that it is so incomprehensibly good that we can just hardly stand it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. My friends, it doesn't matter when we come to God. Just come. Amen. We're going to sing a song about grace. Grace greater than our sin. And that's what this is all about. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life or what kind of life you've lived. You can be like Ty Cobb or you can be like Mother Teresa. We're all sinners. But God's grace is greater than any sin that we've committed in our lives. And we can thank God for that. We may not always think it's fair. Grace isn't fair. And you can thank God for that. Because if it was fair, none of us would have eternal life with Christ. But because it is grace, it is a gift. It is something that God freely offers to you. Simply and solely because God loves you. There may be someone here today who has never made that commitment. And never accepted that gift of grace that God is offering. I hope that you will not leave here today without accepting that grace, without saying, I give my life to you, Lord, and I thank you for the grace that you have offered to me to save my life, to give me purpose and meaning for my life right here and now, and to give me the promise of eternal life with you. You may need to make that commitment today. Perhaps there's someone here today who is looking for a church to be a part of, we invite you to come and unite with our church today. Or maybe you just need a time of prayer. Just a time of 
saying, Tim, I, I've got this on my heart and I, I want you to pray for me and I'll be glad to pray with you. I want to talk with you and I want to, to celebrate God's working in your life. So if God's dealing in your heart in any way, we invite you to come as we sing together. Grace greater than our sin. We go with much thanksgiving in our hearts because we know that God's grace is greater than all of our sins. We have come here today as sinners and we leave here today as forgiven children of God. We thank you, O God, for the mercy of grace that you have given to us and we pray that we may live our life in the joy and in the fullness of having received that mercy and of having known you as our, our Lord, our Savior, our friend. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.